Genesis chapter 1, you should be there already, and we'll finish up this first chapter, Lord willing, today. Israel is, is God's chosen people. We, we know that, we affirm that, that's clear in Scripture. They, they were chosen not because they were so choosable, uh, not because they were a choice people, but they were chosen because of God's sovereign grace alone. Scripture makes this very clear in the, in the, the, the law of Moses. And so as, as God delivered these first five books of, of our, in, our, in our Bibles uh, to Moses, and he penned these words, we, one of those passages, Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. This is, this is who they were as God's chosen people, but, but Israel was so quick to forget who they were. Um, they, they, they willfully suffered uh, from what's been called today identity amnesia. Um, they, they, they needed to be constantly reminded of who they were. Who they were as God's chosen people. <clears throat> and the medicine they needed for their identity amnesia wasn't found by looking inside of themselves. It wasn't found in comparing themselves to other nations. No, it was found by looking outside of themselves to the Lord. It was by looking up to the Lord, knowing Him. And this is so, again, we've, we've been saying this, and I, and I want to keep saying it as we go through Genesis. This is what God is doing for His for his people here in the book of Genesis. For those original hearers, this is, this is what it's intended for. As the Israelites, they're en route to the promised land, and, and they're, they're having, having been delivered uh, out of Egypt by the Lord, having been provided for in the wilderness by the Lord, having, having been led through the wilderness by the Lord, having been spoken to by the Lord through Moses, here, the Lord now is making it clear to them who He is and who they are in relation to Him. That's what Genesis is really here for. That's the, the, the immediate context in which the, the first hearers of, these, of the Scriptures, uh, this is what was going on. And so they're surrounded by these pagan nations and they have all of their mythologies and all, and they, and all of their idolatries and, and their worship. And, and the Lord tells them first, that He alone is God. He alone. The Lord alone is God. He's the Creator of everything. The world, the world didn't come about like all of those mythologies indicated by some kind of warring regional deities or some fictional stories. No, it came. the world came about by the fiat, by the decree of God. And, and God created everything that is out of nothing. We've seen this very clearly in the opening verses of Genesis 1. And so, we've been seeing so far as we're looking at these six days of creation, and, and, and we see that, now we zero in on day 6, which is the climax of God's creative work, uh, the way that He's revealed it to us. And so, and what do we find? What we just read a moment ago, God makes mankind, all of it in His image. That's what we see. That's what we read. And, and so think about what that's saying to those first hearers. Think about what this communicated to them and how this changed their perspective. It's so different from the myths that they were bombarded by that spoke of, of, of this particular ethnic group, this particular people, and, and how that group came into existence. That's how all those mythologies, all of those stories of those every nation had their own story about how their people came into being. And here though, this account speaks of how all people came into being. That's very different. Also, what Genesis is saying in such contrast to those other nations, all people share this in common. This is part of everyone's identity. This is everybody's story here. We, we are made in the image and likeness of God. We have a single ancestor that, that God created first. And everybody has, comes from that. And so, if, if this was made up by Moses or some other Jewish 
man, Jewish writer, it would have been that the Jewish males were made in the likeness of God. I mean, that's if you look at, there are other uh, stories in that time and in the ancient Near East that speak of the, the being made in the image of God, but it was always male kings of certain regions. And here, no, it's, it's, it's all people, male and female, made in God's image and likeness. And so, so, but this is the truth. And so the reason the Jewish people are set apart, and we'll get to that in, 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 in Scripture, but the reason they're set apart is not found in biology, but in soteriology. It's in the Lord's choosing, saving, gracious work and calling them out. Deuteronomy 7.7 7 there. It's not because they have some, some innate advantage. It's because of God's gracious choosing of them and His salvation. So that's the, that's the context. What a powerful, radical declaration right at the beginning and, and helping them understand who they are and how, who everybody else is in relation to God. Now, the people of Israel, we know this, but I, let me remind you, we're, they were not the only ones to struggle with what we call it identity amnesia. They're not the only ones. This is our perennial challenge as well. Um, we, we can fail to look vertically for our identity. We can, look, we can look elsewhere. We can say, I am what I do. And that can be I, for good or bad. I'm all the. I just. I'm just the one that always messes up, and this is this is who I am. Or I, I am. I, I do good things. I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm very moral, very upright. And if that's what you find your identity, and that's not aligning it vertically, I, I can I can say I am. I am what's been done to me. So you take something like sexual abuse, and you say this is who I am. I'm the abused one. I, I'm the one that's been hurt. I'm broken by other people's sin. I, or I am my successes. Or I am my failures. Or I am what I like. My interests. My hobbies. This is who I am. Or I am who I hang out with. I mean, on and on and on. This is, this is how we tend to think of, of my identity. But here, what, what we, can, we can look inside of ourselves. We can look horizontally at other people. But the Lord calls us to look vertically. And to see what our true identity is. And so Genesis 1, it doesn't give us the whole answer of who we are, but it gives a foundation of understanding who we are, who we are in the beginning. And so and we find this revealed again on the sixth day. After creating land animals, verse 24 and 25, look again with me, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man. Let us make man. So man, man is in nature, He's part of it. That's, that's part of the story. And so He's created on the same day as other creatures are created. He's, he's made from dust like other animals, we'll see. He feeds like they feed. He reproduces with blessings similar to animals. So there's, there's a sense in which man is like other creatures. And we'll talk more about this in a moment. But the emphasis in the text isn't on the similarity, but on the distinctiveness. And so He says, so man is in nature, but man is over nature. Look at it again. Let us make man, what? In our image. And after our likeness. And Patrick alluded to this. This is only, uh, only of, of humanity is this spoken. So we'll spend most of our time this morning talking about what it means to be made in the image of God. And then he says, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so note, note the change in the narrative there. He's going from, from third person that we've been seeing throughout this opening chapter. God, God said, God made. And so that's how all of the other creative acts have been referred to. But there's a change even in the, in the grammar here. And he uses the first person plural. God said, what? Let us make man in our image. First time he speaks like this. And, and so this is that, we talked about this in, when we look in Psalm 8, that, that plural of divine deliberation. And so... So there, there are these glimmerings of Trinitarian revelation here. The one God, a three persons. So this is this awesome declaration about man that he's made by God in consultation with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's, let us make man in our image. Now, it's, certainly those first hearers didn't understand the fullness of what that meant. It was, but, but as, as Scripture as the rest of Scripture unfolds, it becomes very clear that this is exactly what, what is, what is in, in, in view here. 
God consulting. Let us make man. Then verse 27, you have the first poetry in the Bible. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And so this is the high point to, to which all of God's creative activity has been building. And so I, just, I was just thinking about uh, how to illustrate this, but you take uh, our son, which we finally get to see today. It's so nice. And it was so good to, to be outside this morning and see that sun and feel its rays. But the diameter of, of our sun is 860... I should ask students, how what's the diameter of the sun? No, the diameter of our sun is 864,938 miles. That's pretty big. Uh, you could fit 109 Earths across... Uh, the, if you just laid them across the, the whole diameter of the sun, 109 of our Earths. Now, if you could travel to some of the far reaches of the universe, you'd see stars that are 1,500 to 2,000 times the size of our sun. The largest known star is 1.8 billion miles across. I know those are numbers that are just almost impossible to understand. Just to use the earth analogy, I did this math in my head earlier. You can trust me. No. You could, you could listen, you could line up 185,242 Earths across the face of that star. It's just staggering. It's amazing what God has made in the universe. Listen, you could, you could, if you could see that, if you could behold that, you would still never see anything equal to the wonder of a human being. That's, that's the reality. That's, the, that's how we've got to see it from God's perspective because men and women are made and they alone are made in God's image. Everything created in the universe in some way it reflects and, and it, it's for the glory of God so it, it's reflective of Him but not that's different than being made in God's image. Those massive uh, distant stars they will one day be no more. They're not eternal. But People are eternal souls that will live forever. So this is something so unique. And then verse 28, and we're going to come back in a couple weeks, and I'm going to take some of these last verses of Genesis 1 with Genesis 2 as it zeroes in on man, and particularly what God assigns man to do. And so, But verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over everything. And, and then you get down to verse 31. And God saw everything that He made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so what I want to do this morning, I just, I just want to simply summarize uh, who we are from the beginning. This is who we are. Uh, when I was with the... Eric was very kind to me when he asked me to speak at the winter retreat. And, and, and he knew that I was going to be in this passage in Genesis, so he basically asked me to, to teach this passage. So you students, I may call a few of you up here to give some, uh, see how well you remember what I taught at the winter retreat. No, but, it, but the, there will be some similar, uh, we're walking some similar lines this morning. But the summary of who we are from the beginning is this. One, we are creatures. We are creatures, and secondly, we are created in God's image. And it's not very profound, but that, that's, we've we got to see this. Israel needed to see us. We need to see us. We are made and we are image bearers. So let's just take those two points and work with that this morning. First, we are, we are made. We are creatures. Um, creatures doesn't mean we're some kind of weird, otherworldly monsters or something like that. When I say creatures, I just mean we're created. We're not self-existent like God. There was a time... We've been seeing this unfold. Again, if we take Genesis as in, the, in its plain sense, these are sequential events, and God said, and God created, and God made. And so there was a time when man did not exist. And then, boom, there, in a moment, man was made. It said, let us make man in our image, and God made man. Man is not self-made. Man is not self-generated. Man is not made by some long process of change. Man is made by the Word of God. God said, let us make man. God created man. And so, that's the first thing. We're made. We're creatures. That means that, that there's a couple implications of that. 
One of those implications is as creatures, we're very different from our Creator. We're very different. While being made in God's image, it puts us on an entirely different plane from all other animals, all other creatures. We are still creatures. We do share that. And and the distinction between creature and creator is enormous. So so we're we're in a whole other category than our one Creator. We're, we're all, everything else is made. And so, so while we're made in God's image, there's in, there, in a sense, we have more in common with a mosquito than we do with God. Because the mosquito and, and us, that little blood-sucking mosquito, that there's going to be a whole bunch of them this year, I'm afraid, all is rain, but that, that little, little mosquito, it, we, we both share this, that we are creatures. We're made. God alone is in the category of Creator. I know that's just very basic, but we've got to understand this. And so it's, 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 all, it's also true that we have more in common with angels than we do with apes or gorillas, those that we get compared to so often. We have more in common with angels. And Scripture tells us this. But all creatures are distinct from the one Creator. So that's the first thing. That As creatures, we're very different from our Creator. Secondly, as creatures, we are utterly dependent upon our Creator. Because we are made, we are, we are dependent. Um, we are dependent upon God for everything. We're dependent upon Him for our life, for breath. Acts 17.25, God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Every breath we breathe is a gift from God. Every day we live is a gift from God. I can't look at my heart and say, beat one more time. I can't do that. I can't will my, 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 my life to go on for another moment. I, I, I don't have that in me. So we're dependent upon God for our very lives. Second, we're dependent upon God for our health. As dependent creatures, we're physically fragile. We, we, we're subject to accidents and illnesses and injuries and diseases and, and all kinds of things. I, I realize it's not hard to convince a certain unnamed age bracket of that reality. Um, but there are, there are others. There are young people. That you, feel, you feel like you're invincible. And then people in my age bracket, we, we sometimes feel like that, but we're in total denial uh, of, of how fragile we are until we you know, try to play basketball or something. And then we realize... Uh, but up here, we still think we got it. Um, but we're dependent upon God for our health. We're, we, we are. I mean, even young people. You, there's, there's, we, we, we are dependent on Him for everything. Alright, third. We're dependent upon God for the basics of life. For food. We're dependent on Him for food. You say, no, I'm not dependent on God for food. I'm dependent upon Publix or Aldi, or wherever you buy your groceries, or Amazon grocery delivery, whatever. Or some of you kids are thinking, I'm dependent on mom for food. Somehow it just magically appears every night on the table, and I don't know how it gets there, but mom's just amazing. Uh, but, no, we, we can, in our day of abundance, and all of the plenty that we know, and we have so much, and so much access, and, and we're such a we're such a privileged people in the, in the day in which we live and in the culture in which we live. We, we, can, we can begin to develop this sense of independence. We can think that we don't need God. We can, we can think that our needs are met solely by hard work. And we are. We're unique from animals in the sense that we're called to cultivate and we're called to work for our food. But the reality is God is the one who gives us food in due season. Scripture tells us that. Psalm 145, 15 and 16. Even in the Genesis 1, God gives us green plants for food and, and we're going to see He gives us animals for food. And, and so you can cook food, you can prepare food, you can smoke meat, which is a wonderful thing, but you cannot make food. You can't create it. And, but God gives it. He's provided. Again, this is part of, of again, thinking of those original hearers that, this is God as they're being provided for manna, provided manna in the wilderness. Here God says, in that context, God says, I have given you food. It's coming from Me. Don't, don't forget this. You are, you are never self-sufficient. 
don't care if you're a prepper and you've got a bunker and you've got canned food for, you know, a millennia. Um, you, are, you are dependent upon God for food. And we can't forget that. Also, we're dependent upon God for our plans. This is what it means to be made, to be a creature. That's what we're saying here. We're dependent on for our plans. We, we make plans. I hope you make plans. I mean, as a church, we make plans. We have a little update next Sunday, Lord willing. We're planning on it. Um, <laughs> uh, Van's going to give an update from the elders after a retreat and some of our plans for the coming year with Vision 2020 and some of our goals. But we can, we, we can make plans, but we cannot make our plans come to pass. We can't. And we can't guarantee that our plans won't be thwarted. We just can't. James makes this very clear. James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And he comes back. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You you can plan it for you. You don't know what tomorrow holds. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's our creatureliness. We're... We're just a vapor. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, James isn't rebuking his readers for making plans, making, you know, thinking a year ahead and, you know, you shouldn't make plans, you shouldn't even make plans for tomorrow, you just kind of live for the moment. That's not what James is saying. He's, he's warning against any kind of presumptuous planning. The, the attitude that we can carry, our, carry out our plans uh, regardless of the sovereign and gracious will of God. That we can make our plans and guarantee that they come to pass. And that's, that's wrong. We can't do that because we are in this classification called created. We are made. We're creatures. We can, we can all think of times, I mean, if you've lived longer than you know a week, uh, you can think of times in your life when your plans have been overruled by God. Um, and in some in major ways, in minor ways, but, but, but it's true. We are, we are completely dependent upon God to carry out every detail of our lives. Major life plans and your lunch plans for today. I mean, God is, we are dependent upon Him for everything. And then last, I'd say, we're dependent upon God for our abilities. This is part of what it means when, I'm just getting to that, uh, some of the implications of what it means that we are made. We're creatures, not creator. We're dependent upon God for our abilities. I know in our context, and in, in, in the West in particular, and in America, this is kind of part of the fiber of our being. And, and I, I like this part of our culture, but our, our culture loves stories about self-made men and women. I mean, we love the success stories. We, we, people who pull themselves up by the bootstraps, I mean, they just make great movies in our, and they sell, and, and every time they, they started from nothing, but they became super successful. Uh, we like these stories, and, and those are good stories. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of stories. But listen, is anybody really self-made? <laughs> no, because we're, we're creatures. We're, we're dependent. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 Paul tells the Corinthians, what, this, this attitude, this pride was, was clearly evident in this congregation. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Like you didn't just get it. Every ability, every mental ability, every uh, athletic ability, every academic ability, every artistic ability, every financial ability, everything you have is a gift from God. We are utterly dependent upon Him. And so there, there's more ways in which we're dependent, but this just gives you some of the implications uh, and, and thinking of the ways in which we're dependent upon God. Now again, I'm not just trying to make this, okay, we're just pushing aside Genesis and its context, and let's talk, but that's not it. Just think about how important this was for Moses' first hearers. To get in their minds that they are creatures, they're made. So different from the world around, but they needed to know that that that, that they were made. They they don't have what it takes in themselves to make it on their own. This is not how the Lord made them. He made them to be dependent upon Him. They they couldn't make it in the wilderness. They couldn't make it to the promised land. They couldn't make it for generations to come. They're dependent upon the Lord, on Yahweh, their covenant God, for everything. 
This is why God, the way, this is why God provides the way He does for their food in the wilderness. This is why He gives them manna for that day. He says that they will understand they're dependent upon God for everything, for daily nourishment to keep them alive. And water, the way that God provides them, leads them and guides them by Himself with the pillar of fire and the cloud. This is God showing them and drilling it into their minds. You are dependent beings. And that's not just unique to Israel. What, what Genesis 1 is telling us, that's, that's every human being. Every creature. We're dependent upon God. Utterly dependent upon God uh, for any, anything in our lives. And so they didn't just need that. We need that. We need to drink in our creatureliness. We need to own it. This is who we are. We shouldn't be surprised when all of our plans don't come to pass. We shouldn't be surprised when our bodies break down. We shouldn't be surprised when we fail. Uh, we should be surprised if somebody posts about failing on social media or something because we all, we all want to post and pretend like everything's always a success. But, but it's not. We're, we're not invincible supers. We are utterly dependent creatures. This is, this is what God has revealed um, about how He made us. We are, we are made. Now obviously the wider culture in our own day, it fails to recognize the fact that we are utterly dependent creatures. That's not how, how people around us tend to think. And the influence of that culture, it, it has infiltrated the thinking of Christians. It, infiltra- it's, it affects how we think. Just admit it. We, we are shaped by that. But, and we can forget, we can begin to forget how that we're totally dependent upon God for every aspect of our lives. And we can confessionally say, yes, I'm dependent upon God, but do we consciously live like we're utterly dependent upon the Lord? And that's what the Lord wants us to do. That's why He's revealed this about Himself and about us. Alright, so that's part of the story. It's part of who we are. We are we are made. We're creatures. There's the second side of that. So don't leave yet. Um, the second is we are image bearers. We are image bearers. So out of all the creatures God made, only one creature man is it said of him, he is made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. So there's two words that are used here. Uh, we talked about this when we were in Psalm 8. I don't know if five or six weeks ago, uh, Psalm 8. That, that, but the words used here in Genesis 1 uh, in uh, image and likeness that, that, that God uses here, they're nearly synonymous. I know there are some that try to make these very distinctive of one another and they, they kind of press these theological categories into image and likeness. I, I don't think that's at all what's happening here and most, most don't agree with that. Uh, th- th- this is, seems to be um, a parallel meaning here. So image... An image is a representation of something. We, we understand that. It's the same way it's used in our own day. Likeness is just showing similarity to something. So we could sum it up in this way. To be made in the image of God means we're like God and we represent God. That's, that's the idea of, of bearing the image of God. We're like God, we represent God. So we're creatures, we're very different from God, the Creator, but we're the pinnacle of His creation in this sense. That we are image bearers. We bear the image and likeness of the Creator like no other part of creation can claim. So as image bearers, we have unique dignity of all other creatures. You are not an animal. I know. Thank you. I'm glad to compliment you in this way today. Um, That's that's the reality. And I realize that's a radical statement in our day. Because that's that's how man is thought. It's kind of be a more highly developed animal. That's how humans are viewed today. But that's not the case. You are, you are not an animal. You, and, um, and so this is what we can ask the question, in what ways then are we like God and do we represent God? That's what I want us to explore for the time we have remaining here. And to answer this, we have to, we have to take in the whole of what Scripture says here because Genesis, it's very, it just says we're made and made, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female created them. That's basically all it says. So, so we're going to go beyond the pages of Genesis to, to understand what Scripture teaches on uh, man made in the image of God. Um, and so let's, let's look quickly at some of these ways in which this is true. 
one, there are moral aspects to being made in the image of God. Moral aspects. And we get this in the context of Genesis 1 to 3 here. Um, but we, we come into this world with a sense of right and wrong. We're, we're, we're born with a conscience. Everyone, everyone here, every person that's born has this, this moral monitor that we understand right from wrong. You can see it in little kids early on. They know they're not supposed to do it, and they do it anyway. Uh, that's the fall. But, but there's that image of God, a sense of right and wrong. And with that, there comes this sense of moral accountability. That on the basis of our conscience, we realize we're responsible for the things that we do or don't do. That's natural to everybody. I use this illustration with students, and I, I could have thought of another one, but I didn't. So my, we have an Australian shepherd named Bentley, and let's just say I'm out there cooking one day on the smoker, smoking some of that meat that God's, you know, provided for me. Um, not I don't make it, but he, but I cook it. And so, but he, he, there, I got something sitting out on the shelf. I turn my back and run inside real quick and forget the dogs out there. And he puts his little paws up there and he grabs that meat that I've been working for hours on, and he just scarfs that thing down. Well, if I come over there and I look at him and I say, Bentley, bad dog. What does he do? He puts his tail between, he doesn't have a tail, he's got a little nub, but whatever tail he has, he, and he just gets low and he puts his head down and those pathetic, sad eyes. What's going on there? What, what's happening there? All he's doing, he's learned to read my disappointment. That's all that is. He, he's not thinking... Oh no, I have profoundly violated some moral order. Um, I, I, I've done something morally wrong for which I'm accountable, and therefore I must pay for what I've done. That's not what's happening in that moment. That, that's not it at all. No animal is like man in this way. It, why do we as humans have this innate moral sense about us that no other creatures have? It's because originally human beings were created Scripture says, in righteousness and in holiness as image bearers of God. There's moral aspects to being made in God's image. That's what, that's what we're saying. Secondly, another implication of being made in the image of God. There are spiritual aspects of being an image bearer of God. Again, we see this early on in Genesis. We're, we're living souls. We'll talk about this more in Genesis 2. But you, you don't just... Listen... I know there can, can kind of get confusing about this. You don't just have a soul. You, you are a soul. You are a living, eternal soul. As a living soul, you have a physical nature and spiritual nature, uh, immaterial, material, body, spirit. The immaterial, that immaterial spiritual part of you, it reflects God's image because God is spirit. And so there are spiritual aspects. And, and that being made in that image of God and those spiritual aspects of that, it allows us then to relate to God who is Spirit. It, it, it gives us the ability to pray to Him, to, to praise Him, to, to be comforted by Him, by His Holy Spirit in us. It's, it's because we bear the image of God. We have the, there are spiritual aspects to that. As image, image bearers of God, we have then the capacity for spiritual life. That's unique among all of God's creation. I mean, have you, have you noticed, no matter what culture you go into, no matter where in the world you go, no matter um, the era, no matter what time period you look to, all people are everywhere at all times are religious. Worship is something people do innately. Why? Why is that true? Because... Because we bear the image of our Creator. And there are spiritual aspects to that. And there, there are spiritual realities woven into us that make us worshipers. Now we'll get to the fall later. And, and, but mark my words, that, that, that part of us is not destroyed by the fall. It's just distorted and corrupted by the fall. And so it gets redirected because... Because of sin, so we end up becoming idolaters instead of worshiping the one true God. But, but it's there. We're worshipers nonetheless. And, and, to, and the spiritual aspects of being made in the, in the image of God, it also means we, we are immortal. The soul never dies. Wow. 
I mean, what hope that that gives to us as, as those in Christ. It gives us full hope that we will be with the Lord forever. But what terror that should bring for those that don't know Christ. You, you don't, if you're, if you're without Christ, you don't have the hope that you can just live however you want in this life and squeeze as much pleasure and fun you can do doing whatever you want to do and then breathe your last breath and then boom, that's it. No. That's not an option. You are, you are, an, are an eternal soul and you will live forever. There are mental aspects to being made in the image of God. Mental aspects. You can, you can think. You can use logic. Don't let your kids tell you otherwise. They, you, can, you can do this, people. Uh, kids, you got this. And so where does logic come from? Where does thinking come from? It comes from the God who created and sustains and orders, the, and orders everything in the universe. There's order. Things work. Things are repeatable. And we have this innate sense of logic from being made in God's image and likeness. We can reason about things. We have rational thoughts. We can communicate. I mean, you just think about what's going on even in this moment as I'm speaking and you're hearing. All that's happening in the brain and all the nerves and everything that's going and to get the vocal cords to make sounds and for your ears to pick up those sounds and, and understand them and translate those into thoughts. And then doze off to sleep, you know, whatever. But all that's going on, and you may deny that there's a lot of good, clear communication and understanding, but, uh, but there's, there's amazing things that are happening right here. Unlike any other being in the world. Just humanity. Mankind is unique in that. You can tell a five-year-old, you, you're, if your nose is running, you can say, can you please, sweetie, can you please go to the, the back in the foyer and there's a box of Kleenex by the couch out there and on the table. Could you go get Mommy a Kleenex real quick? And that five-year-old may have never walked through those doors, didn't know we had a foyer, didn't know there was a couch, didn't know there was a table, but she could follow those instructions and come back with a Kleenex. She wouldn't come back with a, a turtle or something like that. I don't know. She, she, would, she would be able to follow those instructions. Try telling a cat to do that. <laughs> I mean... It, there's nothing. There's nothing like that. Nothing else that's created that can 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 do that. But she can. There's something entirely unique about people, and that's and there are these mental aspects, thinking, and that's part of being that bears the image of God. Uh, also, there are emotional aspects to being made in God's image. God God is a God of perfect holy emotion. Are, 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 and we're made in His image. So guess what? We as image bearers, we, we, have, we have emotion. Our ability to love, to hate, to grieve, to rejoice, to be happy, to hope. All of these things are actually a reflection of the God who made us in His image. The fact that we can rejoice, that so we can be happy when something good happens. The fact that we can be sad when something hard, difficult happens is a demonstration of the image of God in us. And so, uh, grandparents, you, you get to see those grandkids. My, I, we got grandparents here this week. And, and to see that connection and to see the joy and to see the, the happiness of, of your grandchildren most of the time. And, and uh, no, there's, there's, there's a bond that's there that's special and to see joy. I mean, that's, that's the image of God in man. Uh, romantic feelings, you who have these budding relationships and, and, and you have long 50-year marriages and, and, you, and just see the joy and delight in the other person. That's, that's God's image in you to be able to take that kind of joy. In, in, it's not mechanical. It's not, it, it's not how we view relationships. There's something, there's emotional. I mean, we, were, we saw a high school musical last night and, and to see these students weeping after all this work they've done and it's over and, and these kids are crying on stage. I'm like, I understand, again, we're going to talk about our, our emotions are not perfect because of the fall, but, but there is something about the image of God, even in, in joy and, and, and that's expressed in times like that. God is a God of perfect, holy emotion, and we as human beings reflect that. Uh, again, not perfectly, we'll get to that, but... That is part of the image of God. There are also relational aspects to the image of God. You can see this clearly in Genesis 1 again. God creates man in His image. Then the text says, male and female, He created them. And so He created a man and He created a woman. 
Being male or female is essential to being human. That's the Imago Dei. This is how God made mankind, male and female. I know it's a hot issue in our day and issues of gender identity and gender confusion. People can alter their bodies. They can use hormones to suppress biological and genetic realities in part because they may. They may because of the fall. They may feel more like one gender than the other. But this is, this is letting feeling supersede reality. Um, God made us in His image as male and female. This is part of our relational image in us. And he, Moses isn't writing this to answer all the questions of our day. This, but he's, he's showing us uh, he, uh, God made man. And part of that image bearing is that, that we are made for relationship, for community. God is, is, is an eternally happy society. Before anything else was created, God existed in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. Uh, and so one God, three persons, three equal persons. And so we reflect that. We image God uh, in the way that He created us to be male and female. To create us to be in community. And so a few implications of that. Again, male, man is male and female. It, it emphasizes the equality of personhood. Equality of personhood. Men and women. Men and women are equally made in the image of God. Again, you think about how remarkable a statement that was. What a radical statement that was in the ancient Near East when when these words were given by God. In this highly patriarchal society where women regarded as nothing. And here, male and female. Made in the image of God. Uh, Bruce Ware says, Male and female are equal in essence and so equal in dignity, worth, and importance. And what's true in creation is also true in redemption. Because uh, you get in the New Testament and in Christ Jesus we, we stand on equal ground. We are equally clothed in the same righteousness of our same Savior. So there's this beautiful equality that's even restored in, in part in, after the fall in redemption. But, but we're, we're profoundly equal in person. So just end of implication. Any denigration... Of, of women in particular, I think is the way it tends to go, but of any gender. Any denigration of a woman as a person is a violation of God's intended, God's creative intention. You, you understand that. But I know we're good at pointing out other cultures and other religions and how they you know, can abuse and mistreat women, and we, 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 we talk about those things. And that is awful, that is hideous, and it should be opposed, and, and we ought to support... Uh, any efforts to to curve that? Let me just say, Christians can end up denigrating um, women as persons under distorted and and wrong views of male headship. I mean, there's a right view of male headship. And we're going to get to that, but there are twisted, corrupted versions that un- that are sadly too prominent in. in in the church. And where that exists, it's a violation of God's created intention. Um, And so the abuse of women, the exploitation of women for sexual pleasure, these are not, sadly, they're not extinct in the church. And you find them. I mean, the Imago Dei is, is reason enough, men, to do fight with everything we can against lust. And the reason, that's reason enough to abstain from pornography. These are image bearers of God. And that, that, that woman or that man, I know it's not just a male issue, is, is, is not an object for your self-gratification, but they are, they are a divine image bearer. And that speaks powerfully. So men and women are profoundly equal in person, but also amazingly, wonderfully different. Males aren't females, and females aren't males, and just in, again, it's in the same triune God. One God, three equal persons, but there's distinctiveness. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit's not the Father. And so, there's, there's distinction. And this is, again, reflective of God's image in us. And we'll spell out more of those differences in Genesis 2. But, this is my point, You're, there are relational aspects. We're created for relationship, for community, for covenant. And that's all part of bearing God's image, male and female. And last, there are physical aspects to bearing God's image. John 24:24, we know God doesn't have a body, He's spirit. Um, God is eternal, infinite spirit. 
So the question, why did God give us a body? Why did He give us a body? Why, didn't we, why aren't we just spirits? That's part of our being, as souls, but that's not... It's interesting as you read Scripture, you notice a figure of speech that's used repeatedly throughout the Bible. The fancy word is anthropomorphism. And you've probably heard this word. It's, just, it's, it's, it's speaking of God in the, in the form of a man. And so we talk about the hand of the Lord. Scripture says the hand of the Lord. And what is that? Does that mean he has a palm and you know five digits and something like that? No, we, we understand that. it's symbolizing something, symbolizing the work of God. The hand of the Lord is stretched out against them, or or the arm of the Lord, a representation, a symbol of the power of God, or the 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 eye of the Lord roams to and fro. Where we're saying God knows and sees everything. Not that He has an eyeball and an eye socket, that kind of thing. So we, we get that. So we use human forms to talk about God that way. But here's probably the greater reality and why the Bible speaks in that way. And why that we're made the way we are. We talk about the Bible representing God anthropomorphically, but it's probably more accurate to say that human beings are theomorphic. And this is what I mean by that. We're like God. In in other words, God, God has made us like Him so that He can commute, communicate Himself to us. God gave us ears so that we can understand He's a God who hears. He gave us eyes so that we can understand He's a God who sees us in our distress. So I don't, I don't mean that the physical representation is showing some physical uh, attribute of God. That's not my point at all. But the physical representation shows us what God who is Spirit is like. I think that's part of the way that God made us. So there are even physical aspects of, of imaging God. And then, uh, I said last, that's preacher last. Here's the last one. Um, there, are, there are functional aspects, and, and we are sort of making the last one last because we're going to deal with this at length in a couple weeks. Um, everything we've said so far has to do with who we are. Um, with just being human. But part of being made in the image of God also involves doing. And so, according to Genesis 1, 26 and 28, and chapter 2, verse 15, man images God by ruling and subduing creation, by multiplying and, and procreating, and by, by guarding the garden and cultivating it and, and, and the earth. And so, there, man represents God in that way, as a vice region, as it were, of, of his creation. And so, we're going to talk, again, more about that in a couple of weeks. All right, I'm out of time. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna br- to bring back some of these applications in a couple weeks. I just want to close in this way. I, uh, it's, it's incredible to think, again, as people being made in God's image. I mean, this is, this is who we are. This is, this is our identity. But this isn't the whole story, is it? The, the story doesn't stop there. Um, Here's man and woman made to be like God and represent God, but something goes horribly wrong. And I know we're jumping ahead to Genesis 3, but that, that, this tragic story of the fall and man's sin. And, and so the image of God, again, it's not lost, it's not eradicated, but it's corrupted and it's distorted and it's, it's maimed. And, and, it, and, it, and so then all kinds of, every, all of those aspects that are representative of the image of God, uh, the emotions and, the, and uh, male and female and, and mental aspects, all of those things get corrupted. So we don't think the way we should. We don't, our emotions aren't, uh, are, aren't in per- perfect proportion to some holy will because our will isn't holy and our, and our emotions get all out of whack and, and we get confused about even gender things. And so we have all of this confusion, all of this distortion on the other side of the fall. There's this train wreck of the fall, but God has a plan. And, and we're, we'll come back and talk more about this. I, wanna, I don't want to rush this, but I would say the, the plan is the image of God that God sent his own son Jesus. And so you look in the in the New Testament and and Jesus is the image of God, 2 Corinthians 4 4, the exact representation of his nature, Hebrews 1 2. He's the outshining of his own glory. He's the he's the image of the invisible God and he sent uh, God sent him into this world as a human being. Fully God, fully man. He 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 shows us what man was meant to be. And and what does he do? He comes into this world full likeness, uh, minus sin, full likeness of humanity, 
perfect image of God, and He dies for us. Pays the penalty for our sins. And, he, and He's raised from the dead, showing that He's now the last Adam. And as the last Adam, what's He doing for us? He's rescuing us from hell, yes. He's rescuing us from death, yes. But He's doing this to remake and restore the image. And Romans tells us that those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So this is our, this is our future. This is our hope. And the image will one day be perfectly restored. So who are you? What are you? you? You are made. You are a creature. You are dependent. Uh, and you, you are made in the image and likeness of God. You're an image bearer. There are no exceptions here this morning. Not one. Uh, you have dignity as an image bearer. You have value. You have worth as an image bearer. But you're fallen. And so that image is distorted. Um, so on the one hand, you have this unspeakable glory as an image bearer of God, but on the other hand, you are in desperate need of Christ because of your depravity of heart. And, uh, but we can be thankful to God that, that Jesus Christ, the true image of God, came into this world, and in, in, in redemption, we, we, we are being conformed to that image even now, and one day we'll be fully conformed to it. There's a glorious hope for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, you would help us to... To, to look to Jesus as the true image of God for those in here that may uh, in, in pride and arrogance struggle to think that, that, that we, are, we are really as dependent as you would say we are, uh, that you would humble them and see that we are made. We are made to be dependent. For those that struggle with, with, with just dark thoughts and self-loathing, and that's not humility, that's, that's a pride mask this may be humility but I pray that you would in, in, in help them understand the dignity and the value of what it means to be made in the image of God and that hasn't been eradicated and so uh, use your word but most of all God all of us need to be pointed to Jesus and so as we sing of of him now um, work in us Lord to, to see the greatness of, of the true image of God we pray in his name amen